Hello, good morning. So welcome to our second webinar of the week of Guernsey Sustainable Finance Week, a series of webinars and podcasts around the theme and the topic of private capital financing sustainability in the post-COVID era. I'm very glad you could join us. Today's webinar, I'm joined by uh, some distinguished guests. I'm joined by Turn Kwan, who's head of uh, private finance programs or private wealth programs, I should say, at the University of Zurich Center for Sustainable Finance. Also, I'm joined by David Bain, uh, editor of Family Capital, uh, an online uh, family and uh, uh, wealth uh, uh, news, uh, news site and, and blog, and also resident Guernsey investor John Moulton with a, a long and distinguished pedigree in investing in sustainable finance uh, assets. He's uh, general partner at Bluefield Solar, and similarly, he's also um, got a, a, a long and distinguished track record on helping the UK government in uh, in policy areas. So really looking forward to the um, discussion. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, John. Good morning, Turn. Good morning, David. Morning. 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 Okay. Morning. Uh, and my name is, yes, yeah, sorry, if I forget to introduce myself. My name is Andy Sloan. I'm uh, Deputy Chief Executive here of Strategy at Guernsey Finance. I chair the the, our strategic uh, sustainable finance initiative, Guernsey Green Finance. A couple of housekeeping points for this webinar. Um, there will be a live Q&A. Uh, if you go to your widget, those people who are watching, there's a widget to be able to ask uh, questions on the Q&A. And we'll be uh, having a period at the end of the, of the webinar uh, to enable the panel to answer questions. We'll also be doing live polling. So at various points, you should see my, my eyes drop down and looking at my keyboard to to ask a few polls they were very successful yesterday in terms of some of the um, the questions we had and also we shall you know if you very much appreciate it, to go on the uh, on the site and, and use the widgets look at the literature from our sponsors and supporters and if you can uh, you know complete the survey at the end we'd much appreciate that it's all a learning experience for everybody and also do refer a colleague to the webinar if you think it's good um, it will be uh, posted uh, pre-record uh, later, later this afternoon, later this morning, and follow us on Twitter uh, for the week. It's at Guernsey Green Finance, and also it is hashtag GYSFW2020 or 20, I should say. So, with no further ado, um, that's the uh, housekeeping out of the way. We we came to do this event. Um, we we're looking at a physical event uh, to to be hosted in Guernsey, John, and it was conversations with people like yourself and others talking about what we could do to help facilitate a uh, dialogue on. Uh, encouraging private capital into the uh, sustainable finance space. Um, it was a big year when we were talking about this, looking back. Um, if you went back to 2019, it was the year of ex uh, Extinction Rebellion, Greta Thunberg. There was huge amounts of um, uh, noise and, and narrative around the sustainable finance agenda. And so, you know, we strategically as a jurisdiction have made a commitment to this area many years ago, and we felt that it would be our contribution to the international dialogue and debate um, to, to be hosting an event. Clearly, COVID-19 uh, occurred, and we ended up transposing what had been quite a large physical event onto the online digital space. It's a series of three webinars, three podcasts. We've got nine fringe events. It's a great online community this week. We've had a great discussion yesterday with uh, uh, Ben and I, uh, uh, ben Caldicott of the Oxford Sustainable Finance Programmes and Angelica Bardalai, Chief Economist in City UK. And they were really sort of, you know, nuts and bolts getting into it. In terms of the macro picture, they were saying that, you know, clearly there is an opportunity for green products and services for the UK, for, um, for, for Guernsey to, to be able to contribute products and services to this space to facilitate private capital flows. Now, that was our conversation yesterday. And I want to be able to pick that conversation up today looking at generally the role of family offices and sustainability in this space and you know how are families going to be investing in uh, sustainable assets in the post-covid era now before we get into that conversation i just thought i'd take a step back and ask each of you um, just to sort of just remember back you know the world as it was just a few months ago um and moving into 2020 from 2019 could you cast your mind back and, and from your perspective, and, and turn, thank you ever so much for joining us in Switzerland from the Zurich Institute, you know, what were the three themes or issues from your perspective you saw coming into uh, 2020 pre-COVID? Um, yeah, so, I mean, a couple of interesting things happened once the crisis hit. The first one that I'd like to point out as a researcher is that now it became very evident that sustainable investing holds 
um, holds its ground better in terms of financial return when there is a downturn. And every time I go to a conference or I'm invited to a panel, there's always a question, oh, is there any evidence or in, in the research whether there's a correlation between financial return and, or whether there's a trade-off between financial return and sustainable investing. And I've been telling everyone that there are over 2,200 studies on exactly this subject. And over 93% say that there's absolutely no negative trade-off between those two. Well, now you have the anecdotal evidence that this is indeed the case. Um, two other things that I noticed specifically in the context of private wealth is that, so we run this program together with Harvard Kennedy School on impact investing specifically for private wealth owners and wealthy families on, um, yeah, on the topic of impact and sustainable investing. And what we hear from our cohort and alumni is that um, family discussions around sustain implementing sustainable investing has become a little bit challenging, especially on the topic of divestment, because now that the market is in turmoil, you don't want to divest when it's down. But on the other hand, what we have seen actually more overwhelmingly is that there's this massive desire for impact now that these families see how fragile, for instance, especially in the States, the society is and how much responsibility and influence private wealth can have to actually build up our society, have impact and try to create a better world for us and everyone. So oh, that's very, very good points, Jen. So return through the cycle and, and, and the influence of private wealth. Um, David, in terms of your perspective, uh, what were the three, you know, the three themes you saw coming into the crisis? Uh, I suppose, I mean, before the crisis, um, sustainable and impact investment from a family office perspective was a very, very big theme um, across the board, geographically, with family offices. Um, and I think I suppose the 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 the, the, the theme was really a, 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 around whether they should do it indirectly, um, invest in sustainable funds or ESG type funds, or do it more directly. And I suppose the um, the argument was around which was developing was more of a sort of direct approach, certainly among the sort of the billion dollar plus family offices was gaining momentum. Um, and I think, um, I, I, you know, that, that there were, there's a, there's a cohort of, of single family offices um, in the States, which really are pretty much um, screening all their investments from a sustainable um, impact perspective. Um, and, and that's momentum, I think, was growing. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's like uh, uh, Bill Gates with with his sponsorship of a, a group called Breakthrough, Breakthrough Energy Ventures, um, which has attracted a lot of very rich families and, and billionaires to invest in their funds, and and I think that you know right at the top, if you like, of the sort of the institutional single family office world. Um, you know the Jeff Bezos's of the world, the you know the the the, the richest people in the world. They were uh, sustainable and impact investing had is really, you know, gone that it's it's moving out of the alternative space and becoming mainstream. And and a bit like Twan was saying, also that from a from an, an from a um, an investment perspective, that there were also good returns there as well. Um, although I always I think that direct investing in in sustainable areas um, tends to be I mean it'd be interesting what if what John has to say about this it is maybe to some extent about long term um, returns a bit like how biotech is um, so you know you're not going to make a lot of money straight away in some of these investments um, so that's going into the 2020 and then of course we had COVID-19 and that has put a you know a spanner in the works of everything um but but what we see at family capital because we monitor we we look at deals being done by family offices around the world um certainly from a venture perspective 
um, in the impact space, you did see some fall off in sort of February, late February, March onwards. Although I think to some extent, I, 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 you know, in the states where we're getting most of this flow from, um, it's not it's not significant. Um, and, you know, I mean, let's face it, a lot of single family offices, particularly in the U.S., um, went into a, a period of shock, I suppose, as we all did in, in sort of March time. But now, I mean, if you look at the S&P 500, it's pretty much recovered all its losses. Um, so they're not feeling particularly poor right now. I mean, some of them, you know, obviously were a bit concerned about some of their venture investments and whatever else. But I, I, I don't really think COVID is really going to put a, a massive hold on it, particularly in the US. I don't know so much in the UK. It's never been such a big thing in the UK among the single family offices here as it is in in the US, or, or as it is in, um, in actually other, other continental countries like Holland, for instance, where single family offices seem to be a little bit more into it. Anyway, that's, that's mm. how I see it. So thanks, though. So again, sort of returns to the cycle, and direct or indirect is one of the big issues. I mean, coming to John now, you know, who's somebody who's deploying uh, his own capital, as it, uh, as it were, not as it were, but he does. John, it's a, in response to that, so have you got a view on the, the direct versus indirect? But similarly, as well, you know, it, it, from your perspective, the, the issues coming into the crisis was sustainable perspective. Well, we we came into the crisis with ESG, which is you know. We have to remember an enormously broad range, sustainable, green, diversity. You know, they're all somehow put in the same bucket, and of course they aren't the same. Um, impact investing, there's definitely some areas of impact investing where the arrival of the virus has made it more popular. Things that are di directly related to the pandemic or to the medical side. You've seen investors rushing towards life science issues. Um, I chair FinCap in the UK, the AIM broker. The easiest thing to raise money for has been healthcare-related stocks. Um, we've, we've seen some sort of flinching about the green area and climate change, where you've seen big changes in the behaviour of governments, particularly in the, in the US. Uh, that stuff's moving slower. Um, we've seen some extraordinary things. I mean, yes, we saw at the start of the, uh, this that ESG positive stocks on average did a lot better than the market. However, in the last few weeks, it's swung the other way. As people have lurched back into some of the energy stocks and so on, uh, they'd happily dumped. It's a very uncertain period. Um, that much I do know. Uh, in terms of the family offices, they vary immensely between their direct and indirect preferences. Uh, it comes down really to capability. If you've got good in-house people and you've got enough money to do it, you might as well save the cost of an external manager. Uh, you give yourself a chance of doing somewhat better. Um, if you haven't got the skill base and if you aren't large enough, then the indirect route is inevitably favored. But th there's a whole mass between black and white here it's not clear which is the right way to go for very many operations. Deal flow for somebody who's a big asset manager in the space may itself be a reason to use that manager. Okay. So, I mean, again, picking up on those, it's sort of a similar direct, indirect. I think that comes to the, the family office uh, general agenda, the, sort of the moving up the value scale and, and, and sort of patterns that we've seen as a jurisdiction where people are looking for more sophisticated services um, servicing, you know, uh, private wealth. Uh, David, do you see, uh, sort of, just to respond to John there, do you see a development in services uh, specifically around the sustainable finance agenda, um, or is it just an extension of uh, the way that families are doing business? Oh, no, no, definitely. There's a big advisory community developing around the sustainable uh, investment area um, and impact there's lots of new advisory groups which have, have, have uh, started in you know over the last maybe five five years or so, and I don't think you know that's going away in any way whatsoever. Um, and uh, you know, it, it, I, I mean, I agree with John that it's kind of there is a great deal of uncertainty out there, but I think uh, you know over a period of time, I, I don't see the impact 
sustainable mentality of single family offices being in any way um, eased off. I think it's going to increase. I think the other thing which we should be looking at is that there's going to be a big transfer of wealth um, from the baby boomers to the, you know, to the millennials and, and generations down from that over the next sort of 10, 20 years. And, and those individuals are much more driven by um, areas around, you know, improving the environment and sustainability. So I, that will, you know, that, 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 that the demographic changes will um, increase the, the likelihood of more family offices and private capital in general um, putting money into sustainable um, impact-led initiatives. And, and, and you know, and, and I think it, it, there is an issue over um, a, a definition of terms, and John's right to point out that it, you know, it covers a multitude of sins, if you like, the whole ESG area. Um, and you know, and as I think I, I mentioned to uh, um, you earlier when we were discussing pre pre putting on, on on this this seminar, was that you know the, the ESG indices out there were often um, somewhat distorted by the fact that they have often big tech companies in them. Um, mm. So performance could be somewhat skewed because of that. Um, you know, so and I, I think. You know, that's why some people um, who have the wherewithal and, you know, you do have to be a substantial single family office in terms of assets under management to do do it directly. Um, but they want to have more say in what they're doing from a sustainable impact perspective rather than just putting into it an ESG fund, which they have very little influence over. But yeah, I mean, you know, you have to be a billion plus probably single family mm. office or at least a, you know, a, a, a big family office. Uh, it occurred to me um, literally when I was thinking about this this morning, just how old this trend really is. My grandfather had a portfolio of equities where his sole selection criteria was that they were based in Stoke-on-Trent, which is where he came from. Yeah. So that's yeah. impact investment. Yeah. Uh, when I was in the accounting trade, and this is nearly 50 years ago, I worked on the, the Lever families, Unilevers, the Levers, um, their portfolio then, and then they were cutting companies out on social grounds. A lot of what we've seen in the growth of ESG is actually a growth in the wealth of the individual family offices. And they've always probably expressed some level of preference, like this area, don't want to do tobacco, don't fancy oil, don't like defense companies. Um, it's, it's, it's worth remembering it's been going a very long time. It's just a hell of a lot bigger now and a much bigger issue. So a good point, John. You know, to, to paraphrase, you know, as 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 money is more private, private concerns can uh, can also you know, dominate and contribute. But to come back to David's point, I'm going to come to you now. Turn is to David's point about uh, that extension of services and development of a direct and indirect, um, and very much the, the the extension of the ecosystem. Here in Guernsey, we've we've seen a, an ecosystem develop in recent years of advisory, obviously professional services firms, but also the fiduciaries and genuine you know investment advisory firms. Is that a trend that you've picked up on too? And and do you, do you see that differentiation in terms of the manner of investing, whether it's direct or it's portfolio investment, and then moving up the the chain as it were to that more hands-on direct uh, interventions? Hi, absolutely. So I, I actually wanted to chime in on that topic because I did the study on largest wealth managers, like private banks. And what I discovered, especially when it comes to impact investing, like private market deals, is that private banks are trying to do it, but there's just a, a limit of how much they can actually do that because there's a size limit. You know, anything below 100 million, they won't, won't even look at it. If it's a first-time fund, they won't look at it. I mean, not a lot of these impact funds have a track record, so that already, you know, goes out the window. So the only private banks that would consider um, are very few. And then the impact funds that they actually screen are so successful commercially that there's absolutely no point in 
investing in those funds because they're completely oversubscribed, which means that if you as a family or as a, as a wealthy individual would like to have impact according to your own conviction and your values, then private banks, yes, it's true, you need to push them, but might not be the best um, to see quick results. And in that sense, now a lot of families and wealthy individuals start to engage, especially the next gens are starting to engage with their family office. If they don't have a family office, then they try to find a multifamily office where you know the families are close, the, the values are aligned, and so on and so forth, because you have such a direct connection to your family office, and it's so much easier for the next gens to access it or for somebody who's not very knowledgeable in finance and investing to access it, which I think we have a tendency to forget. You know, These wealthy individuals are not all... all professional investors, they're photographers, they're, they're um, doctors, and they have their own passion. And once they go to, to the wealth manager, or once they go to private banks, they're quite intimidated. Whereas if you have an advisor that caters to their need to, you know, knows how to address female clients, knows how to not look down on next gens and really listens to their need, that's a big differentiator. And, you know, I mean, we have our entire alumni base looking for such advisors and cannot find them. Really? Not even in Switzerland? Especially <laughs> <laughs> in Switzerland, I would say. There are a couple, Steve. but not many. Steve Norman of the UN. Their advisors and advisors. True. Like I say, Stephen Nolan of the UN on the podcast yesterday to kick us off to make the point that there was a fight for uh, a fight for talent in this area, and I was like, well, that's uh, that's good news for for a lot of people, I suppose. I'm going to use this opportunity now because I mean, uh, we've touched on a couple of things which I want to come back to ESG and, and also the development of services. We've also touched on about return and also the the theming of. Um, so that the investing through the cycle and that, and that direct investment and that patient sort of capital approach that um, that family offices are able able to do, but for for the purposes of, of everybody online, I'm just going to ask everybody what they believe is the um, is the most important factor in attracting private capital into sustainable and green investments. And then we've given a choice here, and it'd be interesting, I think, from our perspective, uh, what they are. So while I do the poll, I will come back to. Um, Asking about well, okay, that was we've had that conversation. We've talked a little bit about the impact of COVID, uh, and David and John, you actually made a good, very good point. And I think it's David. The markets, I think, in the US are, are all year highs, uh, you know, perversely almost after the, the experience of the last three months, and that people maybe not feeling so uh, so unwealthy as they were a couple of months back. But I would like to just take stock and say, is there any specific learning from the crisis in terms of the reaction to the crisis? Uh, both you know, international policymakers, globals, but in terms of family offices in the line of their investments, are there any takeaways immediately that, that, that you think uh, that they'll be, will be taking forward? So that immediate stock take about lessons learned from the crisis while I poll. Uh, David, I'll come to you there. because My apologies. You're now in my left-hand corner, so my eye goes straight <laughs> to that person there. Sure, sure, Andy. Well, I mean, I agree with John. I think he's already mentioned that the fact that you, you saw a lot of probably private capital, um, family office private capital going into life science and biotech. And I think that momentum, which was there before, was sped up a lot by COVID-19. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, family offices have always been one of the major backers of, of biotech because of the, you know, long gestation period of making money on that. And they have, you know, they have a more patient capital perspective on, on making it money or, or at least some of their assets some of their assets are, are, are geared around that mentality um so yes i think that's the biggest thing and, and i think you know from a from a sustainable impact perspective and if you talk to um silicon valley investors you know venture guys they would say that most venture is impact investing you know because it does create makes things better in a particular sector or part of society. So, you know, and, and I and I don't, <laughs> I suppose the other thing which has happened with, with the markets, and, you know, I mentioned the S&P 500, 25% of the S&P 500 is made up of big tech now. So the fangs, you know. Um, so it's, and I, and I think that, that what people are seeing from that is that, 
is that we are looking at an incredible transformative, you know, um, economy going on, developing right now, where where tech is so influential, um, and and you know that that tech maybe uh, impact sustainable whatever. Um, I mean, if you, it's, it's a really good example. I mean, you've probably not heard of this company called Nikola. Has, have you heard of that company, Nikola Motor Company? Um, it's it listed it's only the vague ringing a bell yeah. something, but no. I mean, it's it's effectively Tesla for trucks, okay? And it was only no, launched yeah. in 2014. Um, I think it's only recently IPO'd, but it's got a market capitalization more than Ford does now. You know, and it's it's just staggering, you know. And that is a that is a you know a sustainable company. It's about you know electric trucks, um, and and so it, that and that and actually interesting. I looked at um, its backers, and it did actually get money from the U.S. government, which is extraordinary. They're not very usually very smart and things like that. Governments in terms of allocating um, um, money, but um, so yeah, I, I, I suppose I've gone off on a bit of a tangent here, but I. I my my view is is that um, in in many ways I think COVID nineteen is just accelerating that technological change that's going on right now. John, Can I just just drop in with perhaps the more negative end. A lot of people went into patient capital infrastructure sustainable, and COVID's made an absolute nightmare of some of those areas. Um, think about investing in in travel, in in energy. In energy transmission, these things which were, you know, absolutely bulletproof cargo around good long-term hauls, they're now disastrous. So that will make a change, makes the tech look much more attractive again. Yeah, sure. And turn in terms of, uh, from your perspective in Switzerland, is it, do, you, do you have a contrarian view, or is it very similar to what? That was the same. I mean, I, I agree with both what David and John has mentioned on because these are both parallel trends, and I'm not entirely sure whether it was whether it would have wouldn't have um, wouldn't have existed without COVID because I think COVID just accelerated a lot of things instead of created um, things. But then, on a different perspective, what COVID did manage to do is a lot of individuals and families started to question the purpose of their wealth and how they can have impact and bring starting to really see okay in investing and my capital there is no moral neutrality of it you know the way i invest i might might have thought so far that it's morally neutral to just invest and then reap the financial return but actually no there is always a moral implication, and I think that I, I see more accelerated with COVID. David, is uh, have family offices actually increased their charitable activities? Uh, sorry, John, can you repeat that question? I think John said have have they increased their, uh, increased their exposure to these activities. No, no. The question was, have they actually just increased their charitable donations? Uh, I I, it's it's a very good point. I, I don't know, John. I mean, that's a short answer. I, I mean, my view is is, is it, what, I mean, what I what we did see was was a substantial fall off of venture investing by family offices in sort of in late February, March. But that picked up really rapidly um, in April and May. Um, and I, I just I I, I I don't know about charitable side of things I, I i haven't spoken to anyone directly about that um but uh i suppose i mean i suppose the thing about COVID 19 too is is it's is leading to other issues emerging which can have an influence on on investing and i think you know tuan's exactly right this concept of you know morality in investing i think probably will play mm. a bigger role in 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 going forward and particularly among the next gen you know we're seeing this whole issue of of you know, Black Lives Matter has um, come to the fore. And, and I think, you know, the other thing is, is that you're going to see, I think you're beginning to see the economic consequences of COVID-19 more from a real economy perspective over the next, you know, couple of months. And it'll be interesting to see how that creates, uh, you know, other, uh, has other effects on, on, on things like investing. Mm. I'm sorry, it's, 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 it's quite a... 
Turns point was quite a philosophical approach in terms of uh, you know, in terms of incorporating that into the, the investing uh, uh, um, process. But our, our survey said, sort of, in terms of the poll, I've published it online for the, those who are watching, that it's returns every time at 40%, which is, it, it, it reinforces every point. Every piece, every piece of research that we as Guernsey Finance have done uh, reinforces that point. We uh, last year published a, re, a, re, a report um, with your good friend Stephen Owen. They did the forward day, uh, uh, John. Um, uh, it's all about family offices financing sustainability, and 51% said they were you know, interested in increasing their exposure to the asset class. Um, which just sounded like, well, that's jolly good. You know, it's a great report. It will contribute to this. And it's like, well, hold on a second. That means that 49% uh, aren't. And it was like, well, hold, what, 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 go figure. What's the problem? And actually, the, we asked them that question too. And the, the two answer responses one was a concern for the robustness of the product and the underlying investments, and also a concern for returns. So it pops up every time. You know, we can, we've put it on a, a, our sort of, our marketing spiel. We can drink the Kool-Aid about sustainability, but at the end of the day, it's still it's still capital with a purpose, and the purpose is to generate a return. Now, I, I've segued myself. I just want to come back onto the recovery point that we were talking about there, and also the greenness of the recovery. Um, you know, we've we've seen you know public packages, and there was a conversation yesterday with with, with Ben and uh, Andrew Luke in particular. You know, these huge public uh, uh, packages, fiscal packages, the. The European Union's announcing 750 billion stimulus, Germany 4% stimulus, the UK huge amounts of stimulus, and talking about greening the recovery. Uh, the, I saw the European Union, it, 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 it made a clear steer that you know, it would, would be fully aligned with the green recovery. And similarly in the UK, and we've got the Zero Carbon Initiative, and we'll be speaking about that more on our webinar tomorrow um, with, um, with the panel. But... That's a huge amount of money there. And Stern and Stiglitz has recently published a paper. Um, and you see two Nobel Prize winners uh, putting their names to a paper so you read it. And they basically said, look, a green recovery, a sustainable recovery is going to require public coordination. Uh, and you look at the huge amount of public capital in this. And that, that begs the question, you know, with this huge degree of public process, this the political uh, politicians and policymakers, What's the role, do you think, of private capital in the recovery? If you've, if you've got, broadly, this policymaker and, and public capital consensus of trying to go down a particular direction. And I'm, again, I'm going to ask you to turn if, if for your, uh, your response first to that one. I, and I'm going to give you a few more seconds, Air Gap, to, to give you a, a, a time to, a, to respond. But what's the role of private capital in that, given the sheer scale of, of the public agenda? Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a good question. And actually, it's quite relevant to my new research area called blended finance, where the where the the idea is to blend public and private capital. And there's a distinctive role that private capital can play because public finance, yes, it has the scale, but it's, it, it's extremely slow. It's extremely uh, bureaucratic also for a good reason, because it needs to be, you know, held up to a higher standard. But then at the same time, it cannot experiment as much. So the thing with private capital, what you can do is you can also forego some return and go more into the concessional part of it. You can also use your philanthropic part and create innovative result-based financing to incentivize more green infrastructure. There are many mid-sized infrastructure, um, like an off-grid, for instance, where private capital definitely has a larger role to play in comparison to public capital. And even in large-scale infrastructure, I would say it's, it's pretty clear that public capital alone is not going to be enough. So from a private capital perspective, if there is some de-risking guarantees that the public capital is providing, then the willingness to look into it and then also say, okay, you know what, this seems legit, let me invest in it, is something that could contribute to the green recovery, I would say. John, John it's your money. Is that something you want to contribute to? No, is it? First of all, start off with what's happening with government. And it's quite clear that certainly in the UK, the government has moved from being a hard-nosed capitalist to seeing corporations in a much wider nature. So this, this is really quite a big move. Um, quite where it'll lead, I know not. But it, it, they're trying at the moment 
to make sure that big business knows it's got responsibilities other than just filling in the corporate finance section of the annual report, securing the knowledge. Don't know you'll read it. Um, so they'll, they'll undoubtedly be trying to get that done. Um, the private role is really very interesting when you get into these situations. A great deal depends on private intervention here, on government policy and duration of that policy. And people have found, particularly in alternative energy, that sometimes governments take the, the floor away from under the business, so guarantees and so on can give rise to a lot of issues. This is not simple. I've been involved in getting rid of a lot of government money, um, and a great deal of it ends up being wasted. There's a, there's a, there are other issues here galore. The government is in the UK is trying to move quickly. One of the proposals, by way of an example, this is just picked out of a large number, is that they want to back take, taking food waste into aviation fuel. Well, this is great if you're the recipient of the money for making the aviation fuel. The problem is that the food waste is already being used by people who've invested in anaerobic digestion and the like, and will actually wipe out quite a lot of sustainable investment to put another lot in. Governments you should be very frightened about. They can make terrible mistakes. I say that John's given us the uh, wise words about the risk of uh, of government action. Uh, David, when we first sort of had this discussion about your know, participation in the in this panel, it was you know the, your eye catching article about billionaires, not government, saving the planet. So is do your, is that still your view today? Yeah, uh, no, very ask much. Ask our audience, I think. Yes, no, I I I just don't. I mean, I think reading between what John was saying, I don't think governments allocate money particularly well. Um, I mean, you know, they, they, they can um, have initiatives which which help. Um, there's no mm -hmm. doubt about it. And, and it's, um, and it's, but but uh, I mean, I suppose I'm just looking at the transformative type of uh, technology which is emerging, and, and and that's pretty much private capital going into mm -hmm. that um, transformative technology. Um, I, I mean, a very interesting example is is a group called Commonwealth Fusion, which is a uh, uh, came out of MIT, I suppose, since there was a some form of public sector, I suppose, well, well, MIT is actually a private university. But it, it is it is a, you know, a fusion concept of energy, which is the holy grail in terms of green energy. Um, and, you know, it's still very unstable and still needs to be a lot more development going into that area. But it's, it's pretty much completely been bankrolled by, you know, family offices. Um, in terms of the, you know, the, the, the initial investments. Um, and, and, and they will, I, think, I just think family officers will just be ahead of the curve always. Um, and also, I think that's better for society because the families are risking their capital, not, ta not taxpayers' money being risked. Um, and it's, so if, if it doesn't work out, the families lose out, not the taxpayer. Um, so I, I, I just, I, you know, I, I, I suppose I'd, I, I feel well, all these big physical stimuluses which are coming about, which obviously are needed, and you know we, we're going to see very high levels of unemployment over the next you know couple of months and maybe years, um, and you do need you know fiscal stimulus, but also you you have a crowding out effect with that in terms of the private sector. Um, you know that's yeah. that's what I learned first year at university when I studied economics. You know, and I, and I and so that's that's. That's that's potentially not so great. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll leave it there with some thoughts. Can just, Andy, can I just pop in with one little area which has only surfaced in the last few days? An odd effect of the virus is that it's knocked the economics out from under UK universities, which are very heavily dependent upon foreign, particularly Chinese students. Yeah. So their research setups are now desperate for money. These shortfalls are huge. Some of the universities in the UK are losing as much as half a billion in revenues, which for an individual university is lethal. But th there are opportunities now to act for family offices to get stuck in working collaboratively with the research side of the universities. It's not going to be vast, but it's certainly an opportunity area that didn't exist a few weeks ago. Yeah, I, I, mean, a good, I, I saw it, that too, John, yeah. I mean, I think if you've got any contacts with... Um, 
James Dyson or Jim Radcliffe in that respect, uh, John. I think that would be, you know, I mean, they're the guys who are the really top wealth in this com- in this country, and yeah. they need to be putting money into into the, that sort of research. I mean, I think you know, I think yeah. uh, uh, James Dyson is to me the, the sort of you know he is the the greatest technologist in this country. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that debate for another time. David, if I may come to, if I may just sort of wrap with that point with with Turner, I'm going to I'm going to push our poll response to the audience. So, Turner, you know, sort of, do, you, do you want to recap to, to finalise sort of that view on that about the the importance of the role of private capital in 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 sustaining a recovery? Um, do you have a, a, a thirty-second view on that? About you know, this, or do, or do you agree with with uh, the gents there? I mean, yeah. In general, I agree with a lot of things that have been mentioned. Like you know, governments can make terrible mistakes, and you know, governments are not always the best partner, especially in terms of regulating the private market and not leaving enough room. I think there are also differences in terms of the government government. And then there's obviously the development agency, which has more focus on, let's say, emerging market infrastructure, where I think, you know, blended finance and private capital really definitely has a strong role to play. So maybe there needs to be a little bit of slicing up the differences between what a re- green recovery means, you know, for, let's say, the UK or the continental Europe or the US, and then what it actually means for emerging markets where, yeah, green, it's it's like a, not even green recovery, it's more green development because there's mm. not much there. Okay, well, look, I'm going to push, push the poll results to the audience now, and um, our... Um... The polls was a bit more evenly split than the panel there. So sort of, I think it came out just slightly in, in favour of uh, policymakers, David. I'm afraid to say, just oh, really? <laughs> maybe the reflection of who's listening today. I don't know, or maybe it's a you know a, a greater faith. It was a generational faith in uh, in governments. So maybe it's, it's a young, younger audience today. But I want to come on to two questions then. Actually, that this okay, is the Andy, question. Andy, clearly reflects one basic thing: the policymaker at what times are actually sitting watches. <laughs> we'll, we'll do the analysis of who was watching after but um, I'm sure you're probably right probably there. But, uh, I want to move on to the concerns are I want to talk about returns and, we, and you've touched on this turn about you know maybe blended finance equalizing returns or reducing risk for private capital and David you said actually about the the private capital itself is is better to risk private capital than taxpayers funds because that's the you know you're right it's economics 101 it's what you want to happen in a yeah. capitalist economy maybe we're moving away from a capitalist economy as John suggested but 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 if Go we are talking bit. about trying to get <laughs> so if we are trying to get um, uh, private capital into this area and, and funneling into being a force for global good, as it were, um, and we actually started off the conversation, if you remember, Tom was saying that this philosophical change, you refer yourself referred to this intergenerational transfer, and John also referred to the fact that it's a, it's a long-standing thing about wanting to invest and do good. You go back to Stoke-on-Trent, you know. So given all of that, you know, the practicalities are how do we attract private capital to these areas. And we touched on it earlier. I want to come back to it. Talk about ESG reporting and such and, and, and data and, and be able to provide confidence possibly in the, um, in, in the underlying investments. Now, clearly, there's a difference here between reporting and, and ESG factors if it's a direct investment or indirect investment. But how, and John also mentioned again about the, the scale of ESG going into the crisis, how important do you think the, the ESG and the reporting agenda is to crowding in private capital for sustainable development? And I'm going to pick my name out of a hat there, and I'm going to look at you, David. Uh, well, uh, I don't... Oh, that's a difficult one for me. If it's a, if uh, and if it's a contrarian view, we're all, we're all um, contrarian views as well. How, how important are what the sort of the... the what? Just ask me that question again. In, 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 in I'll a... snapshot it. Do you think that ESG reporting is actually going to lead to more private capital being driven into sustainable investments, or is it a bit of a smokescreen? I don't like all that ESG reporting stuff too much. I, I, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't. I, I kind of feel that people will make investments because they're going to get good returns, and they're going to, you know, I mean, it's just like that truck company I mentioned. What's it called? It's called. Nicola, you know, it's 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 a it's a transformative 
impact sustainable company. Um, and I don't think ESG stuff had too much to do with that, really, in terms of, um, you know, uh, 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 you know how how money should be allocated. Anyway, I, I, it's, I asked Tuan. She wants to respond to that. I think she's probably better at, at responding to that than I would be. So actually, I, so for me, these are two separate conversations. Financial return, yes, um, definitely a majority of people are interested in that, and. Surprisingly, um, advisors and the intermediaries are obsessed with that question, even though the end client, not necessarily. So, you know, the first response to when you started asking the question, oh, how can we drive more private capital into this? My first response was, well, just ask your client. Because in so many cases, the client does not get asked this question. The client advisor or the relationship manager doesn't dare ask this question because they haven't been trained or educated on this topic at all. And then what, what happens is that the client is unhappy and threatens to leave the bank, even though the bank, the product team and the sales team has a pretty decent offering to offer. So that, would have, that was my first response. And then on the reporting side, I do think it is important to have reporting and clients are also demanding it more, but is this going to be the, you know, the, the main driver? I disagree. And coming back to what David mentioned, actually what we should probably think through as an industry is the difference between impact reporting and ESG reporting, because ESG reporting is okay. The status of what the companies are doing that you own, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're saving the world or having any sort of impact through your investments, because it really depends on how much the company has changed and which is the company um, impact, and then how much your capital has cost, which is your investor impact. And there's a massive difference between those two, which is why I think, you know, throughout the conversation, you might have heard, but David um, has also yeah. always said ESG is one thing, and sure, you invest for financial return, but impact is a different conversation. Completely. And we don't ask enough the question, can we actually save the world through sustainable investing? And there's so much, Antoine, there's so much greenwashing going on, isn't there, in the ESG space? I mean, that's a big issue, isn't it? And, and that, you know, there's a, you just, I mean, I go on to numerous corporate sites all the time and you look on the website and they've got a whole, you know, index there on sustainability. And it's just, you know, it's box ticking, isn't it, really, a lot of times. And I, I, I just, I'm less, I think, I think a lot of people are less convinced that really, you know, they're doing a lot, a lot of these corporates, that they're saying the right things, but are they really saving the world? Um, you know, that's that's yeah. me with my that's me with my journalist hat on. You know, a skeptic. No, absolutely, absolutely agree. There is a lot of greenwashing, and there's also a slight difference between okay, investing in companies that are doing a great job, and then you're sort of tagging along and benefiting yeah. from their great job, and then you as an investor having some sort of influence. So, actually, in the report was mentioned is. Um, as an example, BlackRock, they had this ESG campaign years ago that they said, ah, we want to be 100% ESG and sustainable investing. And they started calling their fund um, impact ETF or uh, whatever that, the word impact was in it, even though it was a um, <laughs> ESG ETF fund. And what happened is that they started investing in companies that were sort of doing a good job and their carbon footprint was relatively low. And they would go to um, AGMs and vote 67% uh, against all climate-related um, disclosure. So what they would do is they invest in companies that are already doing a good job in terms of carbon footprint, turn around, go to the company and say, hey, you know what, actually, you know, we don't think carbon disclosure is that important. And this <laughs> is just so absurd yeah. because you as an investor who has invested in this fund think by the company list that, oh, okay, you know, this might be a good green fund, but actually through investing, you're creating a negative impact and telling these companies it's not important, which is why I think investors increasingly need to rethink um, their impact and the company impact because it's decoupled. Yeah, that's a very good it's point. It's a very good point, Stato. Yeah. I appreciate we're actually, we could be here all, all day, we're actually coming to, to, towards the end of the webinar. I do want to ask a couple of questions in the audience. In fact, actually, some of the comments in the audience... Um,
uh, uh, echoing, the, echoing the views, I've got a uh, comment here from Hani at FCA Investments in London. The ESG practices have little to do with the level of impact a certain company may generate. Can we move from a do-no-harm issue to more aggressive impact-making? Uh, so, again, to, to your point, Turner, and to your point, David, I mean, in terms of one of the issues that we, like I said, our research surveyed was that there's a lack of confidence in the, in, in the veracity of the product. David, that point about the ESG washing, which is why we as Guernsey have you know, gone down the route of developing robust, transparent products in terms of the Guernsey Green Fund and a private capital framework and the PE principles that we published last week to make it a simple idiot's guide to you know what is the issue. And I think, turn in, David, you've said the uh, same point, and John, that actually it's uh, you know a quick heads up with oh, are we investing in the right area is sufficient for our purposes. I want to come on one last question before I go to the, to the final questions of the audience. Is we've not talked about risk um, and talk about green and risk and, and stuff. We've not talked about that where the where the policymakers and if you look to the COP26 agenda for Mike Kelly trying to get private capital into it uh, into climate change investing. The TCFD, which is another acronym, Task Force of Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, was all about disclosure and about trying to highlight risks of the climate on investing. Is that an issue that you see? Uh, I'll come to you straight away, John. Is that an issue that you is, is at the foremost of mind when you're investing at the moment, or is it still a, a, a tragedy of the horizons type issue? I'll just slightly go. Look, this whole subject matter is about three motivations, I think. People invest in this whole area for charity and benevolent reasons. Good. Um, people do it for return because they believe the area will give a good return, in which case your risk point is extremely relevant. And some people do it just for the status and the hope of ending up with a knighthood or a nice article in the paper <laughs> to brush their own ego. And all yeah. of those things are mixed up in most people doing this kind of activity. And you get a good return, remember, from investing in an area of the stock market which is growing, growing faster than the rest. And then you get the momentum behind it. And, of course, for some part, period of time, you make money out of being a momentum. There are a lot of things moving about whether this, uh, this area of investment. There's nothing illegitimate about somebody investing because they'd like a knighthood. If that does some good, who cares? Mm. That's a good point. Um, but the risk, the risks here, they've changed a bit with the, the virus, and governments represent a level of risk and severity. Uh, it's way off league for today, but, I mean, the macroeconomics of printing money, printing money, printing money contain some really unpleasant possibilities. People will be invest seeing that as a risk in the near future. Good point, David. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I, I think, I suppose there's one area which I suppose is, is it a lot of ESG investment can potentially create um, a lot of, or well, not a lot, but certainly some unemployment, um, mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think that that is a, a big risk. Um, so <laughs> effectively, you would need um, that to be resolved by impact investing. Um, so you know, and, and, and I suppose that that to me is is a societal uh, risk. Is is mm -hmm. is uh, a society risk? Is is you know, green investing or potentially could be, you know, lead to, to, to more unemployment. And, and I think given the, the situation we're in now, that's not particularly great. Um, and, I, and I suppose that could be a concern. Um, and, and I suppose this is where I, I come back to, you know, the, the idea of much more of a hands-on approach to, do, you know, really uh, uh, direct investing and having an influence on that investment and really... Um, you know, getting your views across in that respect, I think is is and, and, you know you need to be a, 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 a an individual or a family with a substantial amount of assets to have that influence. Um, I'm actually we're just I mean this is quite extraordinary. I, I've just been writing about um, Bill Gates and you know the man is known as is one of the greatest technologists of our age um, and and one of the greatest philanthropists philanthropists of our age, but he's also one of the greatest investors of our age. And it's staggering what he's invested in. And there's so much, you know, what his mentality is, 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 is about investing to generate returns, which pays for his foundation to make, you know, philanthropic uh, uh, investments. That's, and that, that is, so that's, you know, that's the ultimate sustainable impact investment model, really. 
Um, and, I, and I suspect that that concept will grow more among the very rich, is that that sort of approach, you know, and, 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 and you know, I mean, you know, he has an incredibly um, luxurious lifestyle, but it is the Gates pledge of giving away most of his money before he dies um, and, and putting, you know, the investments he makes, and he makes incredibly, you know, successful investments, um, and he continues to do so. Um, and but 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 that money gets recirculated back into the foundation to make philanthropic um, investments. Um, I mean, it has an endowment of fifty billion dollars. Yeah. That's bigger than Harvard University. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's staggering. Impressive. Yeah, impressive, staggering stuff, David. You're absolutely right. And I'll just finish now, time-wise, with one final question from the audience uh, from Denise Lemonova from OW in London again. It, um, and the question is, probably, again, I'll, I'll come to turn, then David, then John for the final word, but and John, uh, we'll come to you in a second. Solving for the big ticket, impacting ESG challenges, climate change, gender equality, anti-corruption, et cetera, does it require single family offices to work together? And is there any way they can harness the collective power of their private wealth? And the question is, do they, are there any initiatives or networks that exist for SFOs or, you know, to, to join in that respect? Turn, I see you nodding, so. Yeah, so we, we are actually quite closely working with um, quite a few of them. There is, well, obviously the GIN, the, the Global Impact Investor Network, is where all impact investor players are there as a platform. But there are exclusive member, uh, member organizations for private wealth owners, including family offices. One is called Tonic to mirror GIN. So it's called T-O-N-I-I-C, and that's more for high net worth individuals. It's a very um, open network, and it fosters collaboration, and it has a bit of an East Coast feel, um, West Coast feel. And then there is um, an organization called The Impact, which has been founded by the Rockefeller family, and, and that's more for mm -hmm. family office size wealthy families where it's it's just these these are just network organizations where you feel safe and have an exchange on the topic of impact investing well, thank you very much for that david have you got a, a any comments on that last question or? yeah no it's a very good point i think one of the things you're seeing evolving um among uh single family offices is a is the concept of co-investing um and yeah. with other families and that's evolving quite substantially i mean one of the groups we talk to quite a lot is is uh, uh pritzler private capital and they do a lot of co-investing msd capital does that now increasingly michael dell's family office um and uh i suspect you'll kind of see that more in the impact space as well um i mean there's a, there's a couple of 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 single family offices, which are just impact led. And probably the most famous is Omidar Network, um, which is Pierre Omidar, who's one of the founders of eBay and his wife, Pam. And they're, you know, doing, they just do impact. That's all they do. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, there's a few others. I mean, uh, Steve Jobs' wife, Emerson Collective is pretty much totally about, you know, uh, sustainability and, and impact led investing. And I think those, Groups will will be partial to to talking about single family offices to do co investment deals. Certainly, that's happening okay. more and more. Yeah. And John, a final word because I will do something very close to the end now. In terms of in terms of Guernsey, do you think that's uh, something we could be looking at in terms of co investment, uh, family office clubs in this area? Uh, the original rationale, as I explained to this, was a conversation we'd had you know, collectively on Ireland about actually facilitating private capital into sustainable investments. Is that something you can see? would be uh, good for us to be uh, to, to establish here? Uh, absolutely, and, and I can tell you it, it is happening on a small scale already. There are interactions between the family offices and a few things in common. We can do a lot more. Um, it, it's one way to actually leverage. If you're not the size of the Gates Foundation, uh, it is helpful to get other people to join in. That's very true, very, very important. Well, fantastic. Well, look, completely up with time. That was just to say... Great, great endpoint, guys, and a really fascinating conversation. I hope the audience got as much out of it as I did. I just want to say thank you ever so much to the three of you, to John, to David, to Turn, for uh, for joining us today. The, the webinar will be um, posted and recorded late, uh, later. 
go to um, the literature and the sponsors and supporters with the, with the website and obviously the articles from David in turn is on the website. Uh, please do recommend uh, you know, to others to watch it. Please do pitch into tomorrow's webinar, which is about private equity, where uh, Divya Shashami from Greensphere, um, uh, Gapreet Manki from uh, BVCA, and Richard Burrett from Earth Capital. So a real, you know, a real top uh, webinar panel tomorrow again. Um, and do complete our survey. It just remains to say thank you ever so much. And John, let's get on that because it's, you know, it's about, it's, some of you once said, it's about our ambition in this space, not what we've done today. So thank you ever so much because what we did today was absolutely top notch. Really appreciate uh, your input and, and your participation uh, this morning, guys. Thank you ever so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.